Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Let's go! Hello, Michelle. Hello, Anthony. How are you doing? Oh. How have you been? I've been good. Feeling a little bit guilty. Why? Because I took so long to uh, get you the notes regarding this episode. Mm, I'm going to be working a little bit uh, blind, but that's okay. I'm pretty, I, I can read. So hopefully that'll be good. Um, what is that like? Today? Being able to read. It's good. Yeah. It's good. It's been a long time since I saw you. Quite a long time. Just kidding. This is the third episode we recorded today. It's enough. What? It's enough. No, it's more, more. Okay. Like right. the uh, meme of Kylo Ren. I don't know what that means. Is that a Star Wars? <laughs> it's like a Arrested Development where she's like, go buy yourself a Star Wars. Yeah. Is that um, what that is? That's, that, a, a that's exactly what that is. I yes. recognize that reference. Recognize that reference. Listen um, to you, young hip pop culture king. I grew up with Star Wars, and now the new ones I don't care about. I think. Out of familial obligation, I do watch them. My whole family is nuts about it. Like the in twenty nineteen, we all dress like all of them dressed up, and we went all and saw of like them? all of us dressed uh-huh. up. I even brought my cat. Nerd alert! It, absolutely, yeah, big nerd. Um, Captain Phasma, little action figure, and I set her in like the uh, oh cup holder. We did that as a family. I it was never nice. Never admit this on air. Oh man, I've said more embarrassing things in public, so I'm, I'm fine. No doubt, no doubt. I've been there for some of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So kept... Michelle, you've got a lot to say about this particular story because I got the show notes so late. So why don't you start us off? Hey, right, listen. The... Let me defend myself first. I got. So Anthony is so, let me pay, like, let me wax poetic about him. (laughs) Anthony is so um, smart and, like, very detailed and meticulous about how he does his prep. He's a very, I feel very fortunate to be able to get to even sit in the room while we, like, (laughs) 
you podcast. It's mm-hmm. he's just it's a wonder to be able to work with you. It's very kind. Thank you so much. Um, he has so he's been you know sending these outlines. They're fantastic, and I was like, oh, I'll just follow that format. And then, as typical Michelle does, she gets in her own head. She has an anxiety attack, and she's like, what if I'm doing this wrong? So great. You guys ready to listen to this episode? You guys can probably, can we edit that out? Do you want to start from the top? No, I don't. I want to keep all of that in. Hot fucking mess. Yeah. So why don't we talk about the strange death of Big Ed Delahancy. Big Eddie D. As with uh, a few past episodes, and because I am sitting across from an Ohio legend, such as yourself. Do you mean me? Yes. Hmm. Let's let's go to let's transport ourselves to Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, the Cleve. I know it well. Young man out of St. Joseph's. So so I want to stop you there mm-hmm. because fuck St. Joseph. Yeah, fuck them. Seriously, they Seriously. knocked us out my my sophomore year. They knocked us out of the state playoffs. Um, oh, we hate were, them. They were very good. So St. Joseph, they're the Vikings. Uh, they, so before, so when I was in high school, they had recently merged with Via Angela, who, which was a women's high school and St. Joseph was a boys high school. And now it's like Via Angela of St. Joseph, but everyone I know just calls them St. Joseph. They're the Vikings and they would just bully us in football every year. My school, since I've left it, has gotten very good. They're, they're much, much better now. But they used to to beat us every year in like everything. And in fact, my senior year, they knocked us out not just of the football playoffs, but they also knocked us out of the basketball playoffs. They actually ended up winning the national champ, or the state championship in, in that year. Um, but yeah, it was just not a good time. I believe they also won the softball state championship that year. They were one of those schools that's good at everything. You know, private Catholic school. They got all the money. And ugh. anyway, moving on. So they are to you what Albert Pujols was to the Astros. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Or what the uh, what Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin were to to the Astros when I was younger. Um, yeah, it's that. It's that trauma. Yeah, it's that same. It's what the Astros are to the Yankees now. Like, just like you just can't get past them. And you hate them so much. And also their big turdy faces with turds on their faces. Face turds. Face turds. Anyway. (laughs) St. Joseph. Ed Delahanty. Go. Face turds. Ed Delahanty. So, young man out of St. Joseph's is a respectable 6'1", a solid 170 pounds. He catches the eye of local scouts because of his impressive hitting, which leads him to sign the Cleveland Shamrocks. Great name. Shamies. Yes. Semi-pro club and his success there with the Cleveland Shamrocks led to a $50 a month contract. Boom. Big money. Big, big money. And we are talking, we are in the... 19th century. 19th century, late 1800s. 1880s, I believe. 1880s. 1880s. Yeah, the whole, the whole 19th century is the 1800s. So we discovered that I'm not good at time. No, no. No, no. No, no. No. Turn so it's face. a $50 a month uh, contract with Mansfield of the... Ohio State League. Mansfield uh, didn't have a mascot. They were just called Mansfield. I mean, I like it. Simple search. Sure. 
So he spent his 1887 season there, making 50 bucks a month. Batted 351. He scored 90 runs in 83 games. And then the following season, he goes to Wheeling, the uh, National Cities, and or the Nailers. Uh, I believe they maybe changed their name mid-season, or maybe they went by both. Anyway, so the Wheeling National Cities in 1888, 21 games, he hit 412. And everyone's very impressed, including a team from the Big Bad National League, the Philadelphia Phillies. And they said, hey, kid, we'd like to sign you to a $2,000 contract. So, oh, gosh, sir, that's big money. Yeah, so here's this hot shot. I mean, I think it's fair to call him a hot shot 20-year-old Ed Delahancy out of St. Joseph oh, High School. Ed Delahancy. Fresh out of hitting 412 across 21 games. I mean, I, I don't. That's not a very big sample. I just want to say that right out loud. So he gets called in to the Philadelphia Phillies. He's making two thousand dollars, and that did not go well at first. Uh, it did not. Um, so he was. You know, impressive. Sure. Impressive bat. But um, handsome. Handsome. Strapping. Six one. Moderately intelligent. Ohio. Ohio bred. So he's already close to perfect. Perfect. I mean, I'm staring at perfection now. How how kind of you. Thank you. Yeah. I said, how dare you? Which why? which is how dare you say so kind ag- things about so me aggressive. to my face? You said it to my face. <laughs> So, um, yes, he was a talented hitter, but handsome. he was awesome and handsome, but he was, uh, kind of like, took like a wild approach at the plate. He was like, I'm going to, I'm just going to swing at everything Great. and opposing Great. pitchers saw this and they're like, all right, we're going to feast on this and we're going to make sure we hold him to, they held him to a 228 batting average. In 1988, oh, sorry, 1988. 1888. Again, time. Oh, kryptonite. But in uh, he had a slightly better season in 1889. He improved to a whopping 293 batting average. That's good. So, I agree. So, the Cleveland of the Players League in 1890. So, yeah. So, in 1890, he moves on to the to Cleveland in the Players League. Is that what they're called? And the players, yes. Um, yeah, so what was that? It was the uh, infants. The Cleveland infants. Now, like I, babies. Yeah, I don't have this in my notes, but I. Did they have some nightmare fueled? I don't know if giant they really baby had mascots, mascots in those then? days, but the infants. They were too busy died, uh, dodging the bubonic plague. Yeah, sure. Polio was still a thing. Sure. I don't know what was going on in 1890. Let's assume so. Let's assume so. Lubonic Plague and Polio King. Consumption. They are going to they rule in the world, but, you know, our boy Eddie D, 1890, he batted 296 in 115 games, but then the league, Players League, it failed. Yeah. It went kaput. That's correct. It said I no mean, more. That was, that was the right. That it should have failed. So they said, you know what? Uh, we're not a thing anymore. We're just 
turned back to the Phillies and they were like, here, take him. Take him back. Returning you, uh, you know, we would like a refund. Um, so when he returned, he was, uh, it was not a smooth time at all. He was struggling, not hitting great. It was a 243 average. That's not that bad. Though he did score 92 runs. That's what I'm saying. Drove in another 86. Eighth best in the circuit. Yeah. I mean, that's not bad. So at that point, Delahanty was like, okay, it's, it's 1892. I'm going to refocus myself. I'm going to rededicate myself. I'm going to make this my sole focus in the offseason. Baseball. Baseball. What was he focusing on? Other things. Is he building trains? Is he trains, a, a fireman on a train? Fireman on a train, yeah. Yeah. It Remember could go that. either way. Or maybe he was went the way of Rakiparani. Rakiparani. He was working out every day. And then when he reported to camp in 1892, best shape of his life. Oh, come on. Best really? Shape of his life, basically. That cliche. Yeah, I know. Maybe it's, he was the, the origin of it. Origin of it. Mm. So uh, this ended up being a great decision, though. Um, it led to his best season so far in his uh, illustrious career. He batted a whopping 306. Nice. He led the league in triples nice. with 21. His slugging percentage, just going to give you a guess because it just tickles me to death when you throw out wild guesses. Arliss. Yes. <laughs> That'll be a running joke. Arliss. A batting average of, you know, slugging percentage of Arliss. Yeah. Uh, slugging percentage of 495. Ah, close. And so, you know, the publication Sporting Life, which is the, which a prominent publication then, that performance drew praise, and he, which credits um, De La Hanti for his hard work and timely batting. But that was just the beginning for our boy, Eddie D. I feel like this is an excellent time to take a pause. I couldn't agree more. Also, I love when you call him Eddie D. Love it. Love the D. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Aye, aye, Captain. Here we are. Here we are. How was your break? Oh, my God. I got so much done. I traveled the world. Oh, my gosh. No, I didn't. I sat right in front of you for 35 seconds, and then I hit record again. What a match for 35 seconds, yeah. because for five of that, we held eye contact. Mm-hmm. We did, and then you played a weird song about Cleveland. I feel like it was appropriate. Fair. Appropriate. So, before the break, talking about how Eddie D dedicated his life to baseball. To baseball. To Arliss. And he had a... He ended up paying off in 1892. He had the best season to date. 306. Slugging percentage of Arliss. Sure. <laughs> it's well established. 
But let's take it back. Let's take it back. Let's travel back in time. Let's get in our time machine. Here we are, 1876. 1867. 1867. So, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, somebody's got a touch of the dyslexia on yeah. me. That's what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. And, and dyslexia. Talker. not what I'm here for, but that is a thing that I also provide. 1867, Cleveland, 1867, Ohio. 1867, Cleveland, Ohio. So, Ed Delahante, he is... Uh, Eldest of five brothers, he had five other brothers, uh, or he had four other brothers, all of which uh, ended up also playing in the majors. Fun fact. Oh, that is a fun fact. I'm having a blast. Blasty blast. Um, best time of our lives. Um, he was born to, you know, the humble Amish, uh, Irish immigrants, Bridget and James. So, James Delahanty. James Delahanty. To support his family, James Delahanty. Took on a variety of, um, you know, picked up some blue-collar jobs to support his family around Cleveland. And his uh, his mother, Bridget, his, um, was like, you know, what what else can we do? So they converted his Phelps Street home into a boarding house. Love that. So as can, you can imagine, that's not the best situation, best environment for young boys. They isn't Tom Thomas Wolf raised in a boarding house also? I mean, listen, Ed Delahanty and Thomas Wolf, how much better can you do in life? <laughs> um, well, foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, his brothers were like, you know what? We don't want to be in the house. We want to be outside. We want to play. And so they got into uh, just playing around the neighborhood with a bunch of different sports. But um, very much uh, they focused on baseball. And they play with a bunch of neighborhood kids in vacant lots around the neighborhood. And they did this so so often. And young Ed was so, so good that he ended up catching the eye of some local scouts. So in 1870 or whatever, 1880, you could just play in a vacant lot and get discovered by a scout. I really want to spend a minute here and just focus on that fact. We're in our time machine. Uh, yeah, we, we were just talking about in the previous episode, Joe, or one of the previous episodes, Joe Nuxall getting discovered at a playground complex. A playground complex at the age of yeah, 14. 14, and now if you're not putting thousands of dollars into perfect game or future stars, then no Major League Baseball scout in America will know who in the world you are. Anyway, moving on from my first Yeah, no, I just think that that was that... It's amazing. I was sitting there, I was thinking the exact same thing, and I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So if I go back a few centuries. Vacant lots. And just hang out around vacant lots. <laughs> um, I can. I played in vacant lots. No scout ever came by. I also played in vacant lots, but um, I wasn't playing baseball. Yeah, you were getting hung on smack. Smack. I had a very big problem all big through smack my. Smack problem. Do you know? Ages? Sugar smacks. Sugar smacks. <laughs> Well, age nine to age whatever today is. Smack teen. Smack teen. Favorite age. Anyway, moving on. So, caught the eye of local scouts. And then he was signed by, as we said earlier, the Cleveland Shamrocks. Shammies, if you will. Shammy sham shakes. Ed's uh, strength was he hit for average. He also hit for power. And he had a strong arm. He knew everything. You know, there was five brothers. He was a five-tool player. Coincidence. So his strength was he was good at everything. Everything. It's a good strength. To My have. strength is strength always. Yeah. Um, he was quick on the base pass, and he did have a very lengthy career uh, in the majors. It was uh, about sixteen years, a little bit more than our uh, 
our friend Raccaparone. Raccaparone, who played like two games two in the games minors. In yeah. the minors. Um, he led the league in home runs twice. That's crazy. In home runs twice? That's a lot. That's two, right? that's two times more than I've led the majors in home runs. Well, get ready because when I tell you about his RBIs. He led, did lead the majors with like 19 home runs, though. I think it, we, I, maybe you could hit 19 home runs. I couldn't. But anyway, moving on. Tell me about his RBIs. How many times did he lead the majors in RBI? Three times. What? That's impossible. Then, what one player could lead the league in RBIs three times? Well, um, we'll get to that because he is he is a, a Eddie D was a kept good company. Um, so he doubles, led the league five times. Impossible. It's not impossible. Batting average twice. Impossible. Again, you're going to keep saying impossible, but I'm going to keep giving That's you That's because it's always impossible. Hits once. No. Triples once. Impossible. In uh, 1898, jumping forward a few years, he was a National League leader in stolen bases with a whopping 58. That's a lot. For a 30-year-old, it's even more. I feel like that should count for, for yeah. like 1.4 times that. You are correct. Yeah. And he was He was really one of the first... Um, when you think of like superstars of sport, he was one of the first superstars in baseball. Mm. And of course, when you get to that superstar status, as we've seen a lot of the, uh, as recently with a lot of these big baseball stars, he wanted that money. He wanted that bag. Yeah. So he jumped from teams, jumped leagues a lot. And in 1890, like uh, we discussed earlier, he went to the Players League. Which folded. So that probably folded. was not the smartest Listen, I never said he was the smartest player. Smartest man. Yeah, great, great he's five, the sixth tool ain't intelligence. Mm-hmm. You're correct. So in 1902, he went to the American League. And the American League and National League had established an agreement in 1903 that stopped him, stopped him from rejoining the National League with the New York Giants. Mm. Sporting Life is quoted as saying, De La Hanti is awfully even, well-balanced player all around. You look at his batting and say, well, that chap is valuable. If he couldn't catch the measles, but he could. And then you look at his fielding and conclude that it wouldn't pay to let him go if he couldn't hit a bat, a bat bag. He was known for slugging doubles and eight home runs. He could hit, oh, he could hit over the fielder if they out, out of the field. The outfielders, uh, outfielders were playing deep. Philip Red uh, of the Reds was quoted as saying, De La Hanti was the hardest man in the league for pitchers to puzzle. He was in, like, they just couldn't figure him out. And Sam Crawford said, he's the best right-handed hitter I ever saw. Ever. Ever. Oh, Sam Crawford? None, none other than the Sam Crawford? The Sam Crawford. I don't know who that is. Let's do a Sam Crawford episode. Well, he will. sounds fascinating. Uh, what, he was one of the first, uh, you know, big power hitters in the sport. My friend Della Eddie Hanty, D. not Sam Crawford. Yeah, Eddie D. Because Sam Crawford was a lefty and they can't hit for power. Oh, okay. You should tell, uh, someone should tell Jordan Alvarez that. Yeah, I will. Get him on the phone. Apparently, though, he's a... Uh, not a good player. Will, according to our New York Yankees fans. Sorry. Yeah. So, and uh, the famous 1894 Phillies, 
he was part of that outfield. And the reason why they were famous is because they claimed four players that hit 400. Yeah, which is pretty good for an outfield which only has three people in it. So you got Delahanty, you got the original, the OG Billy Hamilton, not the speedster Billy Hamilton. Uh, you got Sam Thompson, and then the fourth, the bench outfielder, Tuck Turner, oh, also Tuck. hit over 400. So, and in in 340 at bats, so it's not a, it's a pretty it's a nice sample. So. Pretty impressive, Billy Hamilton, the OG Billy Hamilton. Though I said mm-hmm. not a speed, not the speedster we think about, did actually steal 100 bases that year. So it just goes with the name. If you want a really fast kid, name him Billy Hamilton, I guess. I'll take notes uh, for my future offspring. Please do my little Google Doc. Um, Thank you for. I see you writing it down. It's good. Thank you. Um, Big Eddie, he hit 407 that year, and between the year 18. 94 and 99 he had a batting average of 388 and averaged about 115 rbis per year pretty impressive pretty respectable uh he batted over 403 times impossible so earlier when you mentioned um he like uh what did you say he keeps good company or like yeah who else who other uh, than him could have accomplished such a feat well these two little um other players, you know, I don't know if you've heard of them. The only other players to hit over 403 times? Ted Williams. No. What? That's impossible. No. Stop Kyle me. Tucker. Maybe. I mean, listen, his story is not done being written. That's true. Um, Talented lefty. Um, I'm going to say Ty Cobb. Yes. And Arliss. Nailed it. Yes. You know, Baseball Robert America, Moore. Baseball America, this man. Yep. This man. So, no, it was, uh, like you said, Ty Cobb and Rogers Hornsby. Mm. Hornsby is such an 1890s Yeah, I'm Hornsby for baseball. <laughs> Hornsby for baseball. Hornsby. Hornsby for baseball. He was, um, so he was actually the record holder for the Phillies with most consecutive games with a hit at 31 until... The year 2005. Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy Rollins, Heck yes. Yeah. Uh, had, a, had a record with uh, hits in 35 straight games. And our friend Eddie D, he's the only player to win a batting title in both the ML and the AL. Impressive. To date, it's the only, only player. Um, so we're here, 1901, traveling forward from... 1867 to 1901. We're bouncing around a lot. Bouncing around a lot. Listen, it is a wild ride. I hope everyone can keep up. 1891, sorry, 1901, he made the leap to the AL, and it was his first season playing for the Washington Senators. And I don't know if you've read on the Senators, but they were, they weren't great. Certainly not in 1901. They were not great. Big Ed was like, I'm straight up not having a good time, dog. Sure. And he's like, I'm going to hit the sauce, and I'm going to gamble on the ponies. Mm. I'm going to head on down to the racetrack, drink my brown party liquor, and I don't know if you know this, but it is an excellent combination with only positive results. Drinking and gambling. Yes. 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 100%. No. No. I lied. I'm sorry. Ah, lied. Lied. Confounded. I've been horn swogged. <laughs> horn swogged. <laughs> 
we could just do an episode on um, old 1800 slang, cod swaddled, <laughs> catty wampus. Um, no, so uh, he ended up his decision to uh, bet on the ponies and hit the sauce ended up burying him deep in debt. So deep in debt that he turned to his teammates and he's like, please give me money. Eddie D needs that money. Give me the money. The money. Money, please. Money. <laughs> and in classic big at fashion, he said, I'm going to unalive myself if you don't give me money. Probably not a direct quote. Um, I feel like, yes, since we are in a time machine, we're basically there. Yeah. And um, in my lengthy uh, life so far, I've mm-hmm. discovered that that's a very great way. It's actually the best way to make really close friends. To ask for money and say you'll kill yourself if they don't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is how we became such good friends, as a matter of fact. Yeah, we both, at the same time, we jinxed ourselves. It's like, yeah. one, two, three. Give me money or I'll kill myself. <laughs> ah, <laughs> best friends. Got little bracelets and everything. Yeah. Yeah, so let's cut to July 1903. Take me back. Because this is when some things going to go down. Oh, spicy. 1903. 1903. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's a year. A year. Beginning of the 20th century, senators <sighs> come to Detroit oh. to take on the Tigers. Those, those guys. Mm-hmm, you've heard of them. Uh, on July 2nd, the senators lose one and nothing. Their record's standing at 16 and 43. And Delahanty is done. Fed up. He's sick of it. He hates everything around him. They won't even give him their money. No money. So if your friends, if your teammates won't give you their money and they won't win baseball games, you've got to do one or the other. One or the other. I mean, obviously, that's the only, only two choices. Yeah. When you're playing with a, with a superstar like Ed Delahanty. Mm. So he's like, I'm going to go to the National League. Um, he wanted to return to his estranged wife first. So he gets on a midnight train to New York. Not a midnight train to Georgia. Yeah, I was really hoping that would be the yeah. case. Um, and the train ride from Detroit to New York is not short. Even today where trains go pretty fast, it's like it's like a day. It's like 24 hours. So, um, no, thank you. I yeah, can't do at anything that time, for that long. It was probably seven and a half weeks long. Actually, it was probably... Four hours. Let's be honest. Trains have gotten worse. Um, so he has some time on his hands. He's he's on he's on board the choo choo train. He's going choo choo, and that gets old after a while. Choo choo. Yeah, just saying that on the train. Everyone says it on the train. Like damn it, Eddie D. Yeah, and as you mentioned earlier, he really liked the brown liquor. So it's five shots of whiskey. Because well, why wouldn't you? Um, he loses control because five shots of whiskey and he turns into not a super good dude it's hard to imagine you don't say yeah he's not he's 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 a bit out of control at this point um he crashes into an emergency tool cabinet so there's broken glass everywhere he pulls a woman by the ankles out of her berth so that he can i guess sleep in her sleeper car or something um he starts terrorizing passengers with a razor the conductor hears about this. He's like, you know what? Probably no. Get the fuck off my train. So he stops the train near Niagara Falls. Uh, 
on the Canada side of Niagara Falls. Oh, Canada side. Yeah, I don't know if you've been to Niagara Falls. Canada side, much, 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 much nicer. Really? Much nicer. You know, I do find that the lack of uh, stale urine is just icing on the cake. I I love urine icing on my cake. (laughs) Happy birthday. Um, And then the conductor's like, listen, brother, don't fuck around. Because you're in Canada. Oh, no. You're not in America. Not in America. And then Ed says, I don't care whether I'm in Canada or dead. Bro, so he's doing well. He's doing great. Mentally stable. Although, also in fairness, it's Canada. So at this point, he ratchets things up a notch. Old Eddie D decides, you know what, I'm going to take a little walk. Across this International Falls Bridge. And that's when the... I don't know if he's... I guess we'll call him the antagonist of our story. That's when we're introduced to... That's when our story is introduced to a night watchman by the name of Sam Kingston. Sam Kingston sees this drunk, belligerent... A-hole. Eddie D. Uh, walking across the International Falls Bridge. Comes up to him. He's like, sir, don't like you. You get into a scuffle. And then Delahanty gets away. And what happens next is a matter of some debate. Oh. That debate, for years I believe it was imagined that Ed Delahanty jumped off of the International Falls Bridge that night. Just jumped off. But after the break, why don't we talk about the possibility that perhaps he was pushed? Dun, dun, dun. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. All right. July 2nd, 1903. What were you doing that day? July 2nd, 1903. I was um, a particle of dust in there. The grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah, my grandfather wasn't born yet. I suspect my great grandfather perhaps wasn't born yet. But do you know what was happening? It was Ed Delahanty was walking across the International Falls Bridge, and this man named Sam Kingston, a night watchman, sees him leaning against one of the iron trusses. He comes up to him Trusses. And his truss. Love it. Yeah. You might even say what happened next was a truss fall. Um, <laughs> 
Kingston walks up to him. Oh my god. Shines his lantern in Delahanty's face. Ed, hard to imagine, becomes belligerent. The man who moments earlier had said, I don't care if I'm in Canada or I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Um, becomes belligerent and, and Kingston lunges at him to subdue him. Delahanty runs. He slips on the tracks. He disappears into the darkness. The next thing Kingston hears is a splash in the water some 20 feet below. Um, and then several days pass before the stranger is identified as Ed Delahanty. Mm. Kingston said he was able to hear Delahanty's cries for help, but he didn't report the incident until early the next morning. And that is giving him the benefit of the doubt. That is Mr. Kingston's story. So, as you can imagine at this point, there was an investigation and it ended up turning up some very, very interesting results. Because the only evidence to the man's identity was his hat, Mm. which he dropped on the bridge. And Kingston's story did not stay consistent. And that only made things more complicated, more convoluted. Newspapers were, for some reason, they were more concerned about where George Davis, whom the Giants manager was hiding from, uh, they, they were hiding from the American League officials. So the senators passed over the bridge less than an hour after the fall. Hmm. But they were used to, at this point, they were used to Ed going missing. Like, he was just that guy who just was, you couldn't keep track of this dude. Um, his wife, Noreen, wasn't even worried when they told, when he wasn't at the train station. She's like, yeah, that, that tracks. Tracks. <laughs> Railroad tracks. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when the story of his disappearance first broke, everyone just sort of assumed he was like hanging out somewhere with a headache. And a bruised ego, maybe with, you know, a, a, a lady, lady. Uh, laying next to him. But after a few days, and after more and more inquiries kind of turn up nothing, people are starting to get worried. And at some point, um, John Bennett, who was a manager for the Pullman Car Company, uh, started to realize that Delahanty was probably that guy on the bridge. So he invested the contents of a, of a dress suitcase and a black leather bag, which were sitting in his office unclaimed from that train. And there was a pair of high top baseball shoes and a Washington Senator's passbook. So he's like, this is probably the guy we kicked off the train. Probably a Washington Senator. There's a Washington Senator missing. Uh-oh. So on Thursday, on July 9th, a body was found floating in the swirling waters of the base at Niagara Falls by a William LeBon, the operator of the popular Maid of the Mist tour bus. Still going to this day. Very much so. And the connection between the Lahanty and the International Bridge incident was now known as M.A. Green, a stockholder in the Senators, who came from Buffalo to inspect the body. The corpse was, uh, which, as you would imagine, horribly disfigured, not in pristine condition, and most of the clothes had been ripped off by the fierce waters. But Green was able to identify, and uh, he was able to 
you know, say, yeah, that's indeed Big Eddie D. Yeah, they knew that was Big D with his clothes torn off. <laughs> so just, just hours after that, uh, Ed's younger brother, as we mentioned earlier, all of his younger brothers were uh, major league players. At the time, he was an outfielder and for Syracuse in the International League. He arrived to identify the body to see the body. And he started asking questions about how Ed's tie could be in place, yet his diamond rings had disappeared. Mm. Like his the water like the water had specifically picked his tie. They were like, No, no, we're not gonna rip away his tie. Mm-hmm. But like waters do. His diamond and his rings, you know, we need those. Yeah. What the waters. The waters. Yeah. So, um, I mean, they should have disappeared. So they can uh, conducting, you know, further. Frank was like, "This something's is up. Something smells funny. I don't trust this. I'm going to investigate further." I'm, you know, what Kingston, you're full of bullshit. Yeah, because Singston is this old dude too, right? Right, and so he could. He was like, he was a septuagenarian at that point. So he's like seventy something. I mean, and my, me too, like, I, that's, I had, like, when I was researching this, I was like, how could some crusty-ass man come out, like, as champion of a scuffle with the King of Swat being his opponent? Which is a nickname that our friend, Eddie, had at Delahante. And Kingston had, was adamant that the stranger had a lump of coal as a weapon, but there was, plot twist, there was no coal coal in the vicinity anywhere near the bridge so that was impossible maybe he took it from the train somehow maybe i mean he was acting a fool while and out but adding to all of this mystery all of this suspicion all of these interesting things about the uh about this case um leblonde found the body of a local farmer under this under the same waterfall not too long after that and he was missing $1,500 he had been carrying when he left home. Murderer. Murder. And so the, what happened to Ed De La Hanti, um on his trip cut short from Detroit to New York, I mean, there's no, there was no resolution. And his brother, an angry Frank, told reporters, I have some suspicion about how Ed went off that bridge. The poor fellow is dead now and he can never tell his side of the story but the others can tell can tell just what they please so he's like i call some bullshit you guys can keep peddling whatever is something stinks mm-hmm. so, and it ain't the fish in the international falls bridge it sure is not so fred and um you know his close um people who were close to ed big eddie d we're convinced who, who that... Who was close to Ed? No one was close to Ed. That's kind of them to say this in this article. I mean, his brother. I mean... They, his they, brothers, they, yeah. His brothers. Just say it. Yeah. They can't be like, that's well, fuck, I guess Ed. And right. Ponies and the liquor. Plus Niagara Falls equals not good. Um, right. So they were convinced that... Because he was very much opposed to the American League. And that had, like really not made him a very popular guy. It made him a lot of enemies. Especially because he was playing in the American League. That's problematic. Yeah, that's like, um, uh, by, the, I mean, by the time this episode airs, this will be old news, but there was a young man who threw out, he was a 
missing, he was a quadriplegic. I think he had no hands and no feet. He threw out a pitch at an Astros game. He's like, somebody asked him, what, what, what did that feel like? And he's like, well, I'm not an Astros fan. I'm more of a Yankees fan. Mm. You should be an Astros fan now. Mm. <laughs> Those enemies, um, they wanted, they were like, listen, Ed, I'm going to silence you before you make all the others around you bad apples. We need this league to work. Um, they blame Ed's death. Uh, the blame for his death was placed on the railroad company. And the American League president at the time, who was Ban Johnson, John McGraw and Giants owner John Brush, had given the Lahanti hope that he could come to their team. But um, they, it was ultimately, you know, they said, it was none of that, none of those wild conspiracy theories. He loved to hit the sauce, he loved gambling, and he frequently had suicidal tendencies um, that were found guilty, at least by most people. A subsequent lawsuit by uh, Noreen Delahanty. The widow. The widow is a strange widow. Um, you know, she ended up getting $5,000 from the railroad company. But, I mean, that money, I mean... It can't bring Ed back, and for that, that kind of left a just lingering feeling of suspicion among Frank and his family. The official, like, there, there's been no resolution to this mystery. Yeah. So a few days after they fished him out of the falls, um, they put the as as people like to call him the king of batters. They laid him to rest in Cleveland. Uh, his four brothers all attended. They all left their game, their teams to come attend, some numerous friends from baseball, somehow he had some, I guess, came to pay their respects. John McGraw was one of the pallbearers. And then um, that's kind of the end of our story. Unfortunately, there's not, we'll, we'll never know what happened that night on the bridge. Um, cut to 1945, and the Veterans Committee votes him into the Hall of Fame where he is today, a career 346 hitter. He's the only player to ever win both an AL and an NL batting title, like you said. And maybe the only batting champion ever to be murdered. Dun, dun, dun. So there you go, Adela Hanty. Did you know about him before this? Uh, I did not. Like I had looked at him when, you, when we were pitching uh, episode ideas. Um, or you were, um, it's mostly, I'm just, uh, in awe of, of you. So, um, I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to listen to you pitch all these episodes. Mm, yeah. I'm going to, when this, um, this episode finishes recording here in a couple seconds, I'm going to show you the picture on baseball reference of Jim Delahancy, his brother. It's a real treat. So until then... Thanks for listening, everybody. Say goodbye, Lefty. Goodbye. You just splashed a peace sign like they could like they could hear that. I listen. <laughs> I'm out of sorts. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol. Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. 
If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.